Hello and welcome to Season 2 of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together we have over 50 years of research, teaching, and hands-in-the-dirt experience with growing plants. Today we need to thank Jeremy Mendoza for his recommendation of the pomegranate. And I can't believe we didn't think of this on our own. So thank you, Jerry, because yeah, this is we, a great fruit. We appreciate it. Yes. This is a very interesting plant. And my first memories of pomegranate are actually when I went to the University of Georgia of these beautiful ornamental plants with these bright orange blooms in and around the campus. And they're a very, very pretty plant. Do you know, I hate to say, I didn't really know about them until grad school. Oh, really? Yes, okay. because they really weren't the mainstream at the grocery. Of course, we didn't have the juices and the wonderful right. prepackaged seeds, you know, to eat. And uh, it wasn't until I took a medicinal herb class in grad school and how, they, how he talked about its uh, folklore and, and, and history about the fruit. And then, of course, it became popular in ornamentals and so right, that's right. where I learned about it. So okay. it's kind of recent, you know. Okay, it was it was in the it was in the mid 90s yeah. that I first saw it. and pretty plant. Do you do you like it out in the landscape? I do. I I love it. I mean, if it's happy, it's a great little plant ornamental well, plant like, if you like never, any yeah. like any plant. If it's happy, well, it looks great. It's a dense it's a, it's much more dense than you would think. A lot of these uh, fruiting plants are kind of what we know, what we refer to as leggy. In other words, they have shoots shooting out. And they're not dense. Right. The foliage isn't dense. Well, the reason, these are relatively dense. The reason why I say happy is a lot of fruit trees command a lot of attention and a lot of know-how and how to prune them and take care of them. Pomegranate isn't one of them. It can be for everybody. Yeah. And you find its little happy place, and it grows well. Now, the fruit's never going to be the size you find at the grocery store. So, and that's okay, at least here in the Carolinas, um, right. North Carolina. But they're still tasty. They're still tasty and beautiful. Exactly. Uh, great plant. And I think what you just said is so right on. Apple trees are actually a tough transplant. And then even after you have them planted, it takes a real, relatively a lot of high amount of care. Same thing with peach. Same t- thing with most of the fruits I can think of. Pomegranate, relatively low care, relatively easy transplant. Like high, re- you say, high return. Uh, that, along with the fig, I would say are great fruits for the South that take relatively low end on on the care spectrum. Now, Jeremy, I got to tell you something. As soon as Cindy and I decided that pomegranate was the direction to go, I headed out to an Armenian restaurant and had to try myself some pomegranate wine because I'd never had it before, but I I knew it was out there. I went to a place called Ararat, and if you're in the Charlotte area, I want to recommend this place. It's really, really good. And I tried pomegranate wine, and let me tell you, it was so good. Um, I expected it to be oversweet. It really wasn't overly sweet. It had a good sour edge. Really good wine. Okay. In fact, I, there are a lot of things that you can do with pomegranate, of course, beyond simply eating the fruit. There is the wine, we now know. Mm-hmm. Um, there are the juices, although let me tell you something. These juices that you get that are high in, in, uh, in pomegranate juice, they're actually not particularly healthy. When you, when you squeeze the juice out, you're getting a lot of, a lot of sugars mm-hmm. without actually getting a lot of the nutrients. The nutrients are actually in the seed. In fact, this might be a good di- time to talk about what the pomegranate fruit really is. Okay. So the pomegranate fruit, of course, has that outer rind, but then when you peel away the rind, that's where you find uh, what most people think of as the fruits. And these are actually seeds, and these seeds are surrounded by botanical word alert, 
the Aril, A-R-I-L. And these Arils are what everybody enjoys. These are just basically sweet pouches, you know, full of tasty stuff and sugar and the seed along with it that surrounds the seed. So you've got this seed and this aril around it, and the aril is what most people enjoy eating. And they're beautiful looking. and They are. And that's like, part of what they have such historical value to it, I believe, uh, in my research. So I can't wait to hear what you found out in your uh, research. We've got, we've got all kinds of neat stuff. <laughs> First of all, let's start with some of the basics. This plant is native to area around India and Iran. Today, production is greatest in, believe it or not, right where they're from, India, Iran, uh, Turkey, Spain. There is some minimal production in the United States, not a lot, but it is present here in warmer areas. Armenia, you know, I was just talking about this Armenian restaurant. Armenia actually has a very close association with pomegranates, and there are a lot of products that are, that are produced there. One of my favorite, do you like tequila sunrises? They're okay. Okay. You know, and you know the key to a good tequila sunrise? Tequila. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, sure. But speaking of which, we do have to do the agave in, in, oh, in not too okay. many weeks. Okay. All right. So you've got tequila, you've got some orange juice, and then you've got your grenadine. And you know what grenadine is. Nowadays, grenadine may not be pomegranate, but there was a time that grenadine was necessarily uh, pomegranate juice, plus some sugar and water. So grenadine, think about where that comes from. Grenade, grenade, grenadine. The pomegranate in French is actually known as grenade, which of course is also the military bomb that blows up and little fragments goes, go off. So grenades were actually named after the pomegranate. Okay, that's interesting. Now, now you know. Yeah. And grenadine, of course, grenadine also named after the pomegranate because, again, in French, pomegranate is grenade. Well, their shapes are similar. They are. And, and that might the, be why. It's the same little thing. I mean, the idea behind a grenade, of course, is to send little fragments of stuff out, and a pomegranate is full of, the, of little fragments. Right. Although I don't think they do the same damage to a body if they <laughs> hit it. No, I don't think so. N- not that I want to go into this too much, because we try and stay away from very depressing things here. But there have been a number of genocides in the world over the years. And one of the terrible um, events of the, of the 20th century was the Armenian Genocide in the early 1900s, actually during World War I. And uh, Armenian artists used pomegranates to describe a whole wide range of emotions, everything from suffering to hope, rebirth, and survival. So again, this Armenian connection with the pomegranate is really expressed during and after that Armenian Genocide. That's something you don't know about. It really is terrible. The Ottoman Empire killed, one estimate I saw is about 1.5 million Armenians. And that is, uh, that's definitely uh, an event that's, uh, that people should know about. And unfortunately, because of other occurrences that happened since then, in some cases it's been swept under the rug, which is a shame. It's an important thing to know about. Um, besides that, I found this one spice, which I just fascinating, anardana which is a spice made of actually dried pomegranate seeds. I've never heard of it. Really? Yeah. It's, uh, it's used in India, and it's used for chutneys. It gives a kind of sweet, sour flavor. Now, the descriptions, and I've never tried it, but the descriptions are that it's actually a more pronounced pomegranate flavor. The rind of the fruit uh, used to be used for ink, but uh, one of the things that I found most interesting was the fact that the pomegranate is actually used for tapeworm control. 
and by tapeworm, I am in talking about the intestinal parasite. In fact, pomegranates have been used for controlling tapeworms since uh, about 3,500 years ago by the Egyptians. So wait a minute, I'm having a visual of you reading that sentence in your research, and you were incredibly intrigued. It was, I read this sentence, and it was bang. It was go time. Right? I've, got, I've got pages and pages here. <laughs> so when we, do this, uh, when we do this podcast, I know that you can't see us right now, but we sit here with uh, pages in front of us, and we don't write a script, but we do have things that we want to talk about. I am not going to take you through every case study that I found of using pomegranates for tapeworm control because it would literally take the next 45 minutes. <laughs> but I do have one or two um, that, I, that I want to talk about. So I, I want to, again, I want to start by saying that the Egyptians first used it, as far as we can tell, about 3,500 years ago. Uh, but since that time, it has been used in one way or another until about 50 years ago. This stuff worked. And there are a number of really interesting case studies uh, on it by doctors in the 1800s, and they talk about their experiences controlling tapeworms by using pomegranate. So I am now going to read one of these case studies of using pomegranate to control tapeworm. Now, this is in a medical journal, this is somewhat, um, what would the word be? Nasty. <laughs> and, and so I, I would strongly encourage you that if you have a weak stomach, you might skip ahead 15 seconds, 30 seconds, uh, let's say 30 seconds, because it gets a little bit graphic, to be honest. Okay. I, 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 can I skip ahead 30 can you skip? Yeah, you can plug your ears. I'll wave to you <laughs> okay. when, I'm, when I'm through. Okay. It's, it's really interesting, but it is definitely on the graphic side. Okay, so here we go. This is uh, part of an article called Two Cases of Tapeworm by Frank Overton. On we go. In the spring and summer of 1894, Mr. W., a nurse in a city hospital, passed links of tapeworm at intervals. For his relief, the mixture of male fern, male fern, by the way, is a type of fern, pomegranate root, Pumpkin seed and croton oil, popularly known as the early bird mixture, was prescribed without special attention being given to previous dieting. About an hour and a half after he had taken it, his bowels began to move. There were cramps and he felt extremely nauseated. Some of the worm was passed through the anus. When an attack of vomiting came on, in which the patient felt a large lump coming up, which gave him a severe sensation of choking so that he felt faint. By violent retching, he finally expelled the lump, which proved to be a mass of tapeworm. He examined it for a moment and saw that it tapered to a small thread, and then he went away intending to examine it carefully later, but an attendant emptied it down the closet. But little of the worm was passed by the anus. For six weeks until he left the hospital, there was no recurrence of the trouble. I survived that. <laughs> Graphic, huh? You know, it's the throwing up that that and the other uh, yeah. throwing up a lump of tapeworm. Yes. And the other the other case studies were relatively similar. Uh, when I named that early bird mixture, including the male fern, pomegranate root, pumpkin seed, and croton oil, there's actually some research done later testing the efficacy of pomegranate root versus pumpkin seed, and they actually found both to be effective at controlling tapeworm 
but the pumpkin seed to be slightly more effective. Oh. Of course, combination then presumably would be even more effective than that. Sure. Oh, the things you learn when you start to study food. Study food. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Just just fascinating. Anyway, whenever you read about a home remedy like pomegranate for controlling tapeworm. I'm suspicious. I'm suspicious. And sometimes we say things that we at least try and say whether there's much evidence behind them or not. I fully expected that when we looked into this pomegranate stuff, we wouldn't find a whole lot of evidence for it you know, being true at all. There's all kinds of evidence for this being for the useful tapeworm. for tapeworm. Not, I do want to point out, this was tested against today's medications, and compared to today's medications, it is not as effective. It is effective, but is not as effective as modern medications. So keep that in mind. Uh, Also keep in mind, I talked about using pomegranate root. While pomegranate root was effective, there were different parts of the pomegranate used. Uh, At no time did I see the actual, like a a drink of pomegranate used. It it was always usually the rind or or the root or or some other part. There are, by the way, two types of pomegranate out there. The regular pomegranate, which which most people eat, but there's also a Socotran pomegranate, which comes from the island of Socotra, which is actually in Yemen. And this is, you know, of course, I had to look into that other type of pomegranate just a little bit. It is not popular. It apparently, by all indications, is not particularly good tasting, but it has also been used successfully, apparently, against (laughs) tapeworm and other intestinal parasites. So wait a minute. I'm coming from the the point of view that pomegranate had a very aristocratic, you know... (laughs) (laughs) notion to it, you know, history to it. I mean, it represented prosperity, wealth, abundance, fertility was the one that really was talked about when I was in school. All that and and knocks out tapeworms. And um, and yeah, just things will never be the same now. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. (laughs) Um, 1879, you know, when you look through the patents, 1879, we have a patent on roots of pomegranate mixed with water as a tapeworm medicine. You know, when we get beyond the Of course, that's where I spent a lot of my research time. But one of the other really interesting things with pomegranate juice that I found was the lawsuit by Palm Wonderful against the Coca-Cola company. You know Palm, right? The the Palm Wonderful that they make pomegranate juice. You like American Ninja Warrior? Yes. I love American Ninja Warrior. And they have Palm on there, pomegranate juice. Okay. They actually sued the Coca-Cola company. Because they were saying that they were losing uh, sales, and, and I'm oversimplifying here, but they're saying that they were losing sales because the Coca-Cola company was selling a uh, pomegranate blueberry juice that in reality uh, was 99.4% apple and grape juices, so it didn't have much pomegranate. And so they, they felt that this was uh, inappropriate for them to advertise this way. Uh, ultimately, they ended up losing that lawsuit because the court simply didn't feel that they were losing um, the claimed losses that they, the losses that they claimed were about 10 million from 2007 to 2014. The courts didn't feel that they lost much to the Coca-Cola company because they had misadvertised. The other interesting thing about that case, it took eight years for, for this to be decided. Can you imagine the cost that Palm Wonderful incurred just bringing that lawsuit and then ultimately they lost? That seems petty. And I bet they felt dumb at the end. But maybe maybe not. Now, have you ever grown pomegranate? 
I have not personally grown pomegranate. Okay. Okay. I have one in my yard currently, and okay. we have one at Central Piedmont. Okay. Is it a dwarf pomegranate? Yes. Okay. And so, but you can cut it. You can prune it to be dwarf, and it's easy to, to take care of with pruning. What were you going to say? I was going to ask a quick question okay. because, um, well, I've certainly seen pomegranates in landscapes, and I'm familiar with uh, transplanting it and so forth. Uh, I've never actually propagated it. So I was just wondering if you've ever done it by cuttings or if you knew how easy well, it was. Well, I haven't done it myself, but it is very easy. They do it at school all the time. You know, the students take great pleasure because in, in propagating pomegranate. I'm sure it's the spring, you know, the, the fresh cuttings that do best. And uh, it's no price. Really easy. I'll, sh- I'll give you a plant. That sounds fantastic. Okay. I'd actually really, really like to okay. put one in. They're kind of little. Now, they grow tree form and here in the Carolinas, they're going to be about 10 feet tall, but their zone is 7 to 12, which is really diverse and can be almost the whole coast of the United States. Now, their downfall is, and why they only get 10 feet here, is they do not like humidity. Oh, so they're yes. going to be... So how I always kind of guide folks who want to grow those kinds of things that don't like our humidity is you avoid the heat of the day, you mm-hmm. know, and the sun falls. So it can... The sun... Uh, exposure. And so you can uh, hopefully enjoy that pomegranate. The fruit don't get as big, but you have these orange blossoms that just cover the whole tree. And then you have orange fruit dangling from it. I mean, how could you not like that? It's really... Have you eaten your own pomegranate? No, I have not. Because they only kind of get as big as a golf ball, you know, which of course isn't anything near what the store sells. <laughs> right, right. And it, and it seems underwhelming, but uh, no, you should try it. I mean, I've heard people who do it, but I, I just want to enjoy the fruit, you know, look, to look at it. So no, I have not. Normally they will get about 15 feet tall mm-hmm. and you can, you shouldn't prune. Here we go, the pruning part of fruit trees, right? Sure. Yeah, it's important. It's important, trees. but you, sh- you can prune because they do bloom on um, old wood, okay. the previous year's wood. You just don't need to prune them all the way back. Just prune the oldest branches first to keep it the size you need. And um, for those of you who aren't into gardening or who want to know a little bit about pruning, generally speaking, if you have a, a tree or a shrub that is said to to bloom on old wood, usually that means that you want to prune that shrub right after flowering. Right. And I always choose the oldest branches first, which, of course, are the biggest ones. Right, exactly. Now, um, if you are really interested in growing this, not just for its ornamental value, but for fruit, you can kind of gauge when they're going to fruit by counting down from flowering. So uh, it's about six to seven months after the flowers first appear. And in many areas, that can be between August and December. You know, depending on your seven to twelve is a huge. That's a really that's a really long season. It is, and, it and is. it's not common to have a shrub be so beautiful for so you know for so long. Yeah, and and that makes me think though that um, even here in Charlotte, that it'd probably borderline in terms of not not survival and flowering certainly, but in terms of getting the fruit because we at least have the potential for a frost before the fruit would really. Well, ours ripen. would um, bloom earlier. You know, just, yeah, we bloom a little earlier. So, but yes, you're right. That 12 zone, that's a, that's a wide zone range. So. But that's probably why I saw um, Florida and Georgia saying you can get pomegranates and I didn't see much from North Carolina, which usually has good information on that. I just didn't see it. Right, right. 
But it is a fun, I, I recommend, you know, some of the things we talk about can be a little tricky to grow, but this is really easy and fun. Yeah. And coastal North Carolina probably could could do it more sure. easily. It's always going to be easier. Plan. It is. Thank and you. that was fun. And you know, we didn't even get into the mythology. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if, you, if you are a person who enjoys mythology, um, obviously not something we usually deal with a lot on, on this show, but oh, go, go look up the mythology of pomegranate. Uh, there's days worth. Well, something we didn't touch on is there were centuries where this was, this was the fruit that was responsible to make a woman fertile. Yeah. Uh, well, so I've got to tell you this. So far, of all the plants that we've looked at, I don't think I've found one that isn't an aphrodisiac. Well, that's true. I was leaving that up to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, did, I did certainly find it as an aphrodisiac. I decided not to go into it. And maybe it. that's why. It's <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, um, as far as I've seen, I think that every single one has been called an aphrodisiac. But at this point, I pretty much ignore it unless I find some scientific evidence. And, and there have been a few that there has been some evidence. I did not find any real scientific evidence for the pomegranate being, being an aphrodisiac besides being a very healthy fruit to eat. But again, I do want to point out that eating the fruit is different from drinking the juice. That's right. The juice is really a lot of sugars without a, a tremendous amount of, of vitamins. I think that way about a lot of juices, though. Yeah, so. it's, it's really, it's true. So uh, next week I was, uh, I guess it wasn't me, I guess it was a discussion, and uh, we decided on, a, on something from next, for next week, and the, uh, the guy who offered it is LaRue Deal, and uh, he wanted us to do hazelnut. I love hazelnut flavoring. Me too. So I think this is going to be fun. Yes. I've actually worked with hazelnut in the past. It's going to be great to talk about hazelnuts. Thanks, LaRue, and look forward to talking to you next week. This has been The Plants We Eat, a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with UNC Charlotte College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group. Have a great week. We look forward to talking to you again soon.